This week on the 167, we talk about when it's okay to talk to strangers, and we start a series on Job and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Welcome to the 167. Welcome back to the 167. We're here with Pastor Rick. Hey, good to be here. And Pastor Jake. Wonderful to be here as well. And we are following up in the last message in our series, right? The red letters was the last one. We talked about the parable of... Oh, sorry. I was motioning to you. Like I thought you were going to take it over there. But we were talking about (laughs) the parable... Of the Good Samaritan. Yeah, you got to give me a heads up. I don't know where you're going with that. Sorry. Yeah. The Good Samaritan was what we were talking about, right? Absolutely. It was a parable. It was about Good Samaritans. It was a parable about, uh, Samaritans. you know, some uh, religious folks that kind of didn't really uh, reflect the heart of God. And then this person who no one would have ever suspected, well, he came along and there he was, yeah. loving, showing mercy, showing, reflecting the heart of God. I really liked this series overall. I don't know how you guys felt about it. Mm. It was challenging for me. I really enjoyed it. Um, And I think probably each part of your messages that you've done in the series has something that's really practical. And so I wanted to touch on those three things that you did in this message this week. Sure. Sounds great. So one of the things that you said was, I will turn my daily routines into life-changing encounters. Yeah, so uh, all of us have daily routines. Uh, most of us are creatures of habit, so those daily routines are somewhat repetitious. Uh, and sometimes they become so repetitious that we just overlook the obvious things that are right in front of us. So that daily confession is to wake up every morning with this mindset that today I'm going to turn whatever I do into this life-changing encounter. It could be life-changing for me or it could be life-changing for someone else, but that encounter will be life-changing. Hmm. What do you think, uh, Pastor Jake, Like, what would you say is something that's in your daily routine or in your weekly routine maybe that you're kind of re-examining because of that and saying, man, I think that I could reach out in that moment or maybe tweak that a little bit to kind of do some oh, life-changing yeah. encounters? I mean, this, this is always, it's, it's unique for pastors because our world is spent in a church, you know, yeah. not just building, but with church people and a lot of Christians. Are you trying to get some of your work associates, you know, to know Jesus, yeah, lead I'm them like, to Christ? Come on, yeah. Pastor Nick, Pastor yeah. Ken, no. <laughs> some of us need Jesus. Um, so, no, it, it, it's always, a, it's a unique challenge that I never really had to experience back when I was just in the business world, you know, and you're just surrounded by people that you're like, you could be very intentional with all the time. Not that I'm not intentional with you guys, but um, it's funny because this kind of came up uh, at a, a conference we were Uh, hosting at the church a while back and I was running tech with Ryan, our tech director. And it challenged Sarah and I to look at how um, we're kind of homebodies on our days off. And um, we decided that we were going to try to go out and do things um, with our daughter. And uh, we did that two weeks ago from when we recorded this. And uh, we were at a park and we ran into a single mom and just talked to her for a long time. 
And I think she's coming to Easter. We'll find out. Probably this will air after Easter so I can uh, come back to you and be like, yeah, yeah it and, worked and out. And that's so. incredible. We have some <laughs> friends uh, that we've known for years, haven't really uh, spent a lot of time with them in the last eight or ten years. Uh, they moved away. Um, you know, we get busy with the church, but we still stay in touch uh, through Facebook. But uh, I remember back in the day, uh, she would go to McDonald's with her children, let them play in the McDonald's play place. I don't think you can do that anymore, right? COVID. COVID, COVID casual. Yeah. Ah. But she would just let the kids play in the play place, but she went there intentionally looking for someone that she could initiate mm. a conversation with. And, man, she was incredible at leading uh, these moms to Christ, bringing them to church just because they were there, uh, just their normal routine. But she went there with a different motive. She went there with eyes open, trying to reflect mm. the heart of God and do the work of God while she was there. Getting wrecked at Mac- Mickey D's. Yeah. Getting wrecked yeah. at McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> like, what happened to the I want to clarify some things because sometimes we use this church speak for people. When we talk about life change, like what does that look like? What does that mean? So it's like, yeah, you have you experienced life change at McDonald's. What are we looking for there? Is it because yeah, so my there, car got washed? Like what happened? Well, there's so many different uh, levels or variables to that. So I'll give you a personal example. We've talked about this in staff meeting uh, that just recently, you know, I started going to Quick Trip to get coffee with different eyes. So typically, I would stop in a couple days a week at Quick Trip and grab a coffee. I felt like God just prompted me to say, look for someone that you can be a blessing to and buy their coffee, buy their drink, do something today. So now um, I go to Quick Trip with new eyes, with a new purpose. I'm going there, taking my daily routine and turning it into something different. I'm going to just acknowledge, right, that it's not going to change somebody's life to buy them a cup of coffee. That's not the life change. The life change happened in me. The life change happened because I started thinking more about Christ. What, like, what is God doing here? Who is it that he's working in? And I'm, I'm going in there, kind of scoping the place out, looking. Sometimes I just hang around the coffee. I probably look weird sometimes, but I just hang out at the coffee thing, stirring coffee or putting a lid on, looking around and And you praying. follow somebody in line, that would yeah. freak me out. And then saying, all right, God, who is it? And I'm just more sense. So it's changed my life um, in, in that regard. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. on the flip side of that, like when you're inviting the single mom to Easter, yeah. what is it that you are hoping happens in her life? Man, I'm... I'm hoping a lot of things. Above all, I, I hope that she hears about Jesus um, because we knew that faith had been sort of a, this quasi thing in her life, but um, just that she hears about Jesus and that she sees hope in Jesus and um, like, and that she finds what we have, what we have, hope yeah. that we have, yeah. uh, you know, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and, I, and I hope that she finds that. But then I, you know, knowing that she she's here, her parents live here and that she would have a community um, that can come around her and encourage her. Um, I mean, that's life change in circumstances. It's life change in um, mentality as far as how you approach. You know, I think what you're saying is it's giving you new eyes yeah. on how you see people. Um, yeah, it, it's it's like he said, it's so it's so tiered in mm-hmm. the the ways that it impacts your actions, 
in your mind. Yeah, and your perspective of things, uh, the purpose of going places and doing mm-hmm. things. It's just so it's just a change of every facet of your life at various levels. Awesome. Well, one of the the next things that you said was, "I will turn my religious beliefs or." into expressions of love. And so I wanted to ask you specifically about that is how does sometimes our religion get in the way of our ability to love people? Uh, I think the obvious answer there is every one of us can probably point to someone, like even the people watching the podcast, you can think of someone who like they go to church and they're religious, but they don't love them. They don't care about them. Uh, They're judgmental. They're critical. They're condescending, condemning. Uh, They're just like all of the things that Jesus was not is what they reflect. Yet, if you talk to them, they would say, oh, I've got a Bible study I go to. I pray, you know, in the morning. I pray at night. I do devotions. I do this and that, and I'm serving in church. And all of the things that are good things, their religious beliefs, their habits, but they're not reflecting the love of Christ. And Again, what good does it do to know all the right things if you're not loving people and helping them experience a relationship with Jesus? Well, I think about that in relationship to even like neighbors and things like that, where it's like, like as you're saying that, I'm picturing the classic example is I'm late to church and so I don't stop for the person who's stranded on the side of the road and then I get to church and they end up being, you know, it's like that kind of thing. But I'm sitting there going, I've been in multiple situations with my neighbors where they will either not invite us into something or they will um, feel awkward. Like we do a progressive dinner in my cul-de-sac. Mm. And so I can't tell you how many times, you know, at we'll, we'll always serve the main course. Like we're always the middle house. And so they go for hors d'oeuvres at somebody else's house. And then all of a sudden they all start drinking and then they come to our house and they're like, they're embarrassed and apolog- apologetic. And I know that there are things that happen in our cul-de-sac that we don't get invited to because they are worried about offending our religious sensibilities rather than going. And it, it creates this barrier for me where it's like, no, I would come over to your house and drink a Mountain Dew just to be with you and just to love you. But for some reason, even that perception of offending my religious sensibilities, it's, it's a barrier and a pro. Yeah. And it's, and it's something that's been communicated uh, for a long time in our culture that, you know, we don't associate with the people who drink. We don't even want to be in your presence. And so it's just created a barrier between those who need Christ and those who have Christ. And that barrier really was put up by us, not them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were we, you have something to add to that, Jake? No, I was literally going to say, have you thought about doing like a rum-soaked turkey or something where it's getting cooked? <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm trying to meet you guys halfway. There you go. Give me a break. It's beer cheese. We may... <laughs> no, it's, it's really, a, it's just kind of a weird thing, though, that it's like said, sometimes it's like our devotion. Like you said, you use the word habits. You know, like some of our habits as Christ followers right. mm-hmm. end up getting in the way of maybe a spontaneous expression of love. Yeah, and it, it is a fine line. Like I am not, and this is going to sound judgmental to whatever, just my personal belief, no judgment, just for me, like I I just can't go to a cigar club and, you know, hang out with a bunch of guys and smoke cigars and drink a few brews to tell them about Jesus. That's not me. Um, I'm not sure that that's the most effective way, honestly. Other people disagree with me on that. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that you just, you know, throw all your morals out the window or you, you know, just jump over the line and 
throw caution to the wind. I am saying that you have to let love shine through whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to tell people, show people, express love to people, and not let your religious beliefs take away from that love. Yeah, and I, I think sometimes too, especially especially for those that have been in church for a while, um, sometimes you can start to you've encountered a certain type of person who maybe is transferring into your church or, you know, is church adjacent and then they get saved. And what happens is you've been in church long enough, your brain starts to think of the lost as like, oh, well, I'm thinking about the person that has it pretty put together. And so when the person crosses that threshold for you, you kind of are like, uh, you know, like it, it creates some subconscious stuff in you where you just sort of draw these lines or you know, it's the other side where you're like, you see someone who's clearly broken and you're like, well, they have Jesus, but they are desperately in need of understanding who Jesus right. is, yep. but they, but they show up and they do all that. And, and so like religion can really hamper you both ways. Well, I so. think that's a great point to point out is I think sometimes religion can even separate Christ followers from Christ followers. Mm, yeah. If somebody comes into our church and we're like, well, I love Jesus and you love Jesus, but like you are a different culture, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and that's, I think that that's, you know, it can, it can inhibit the love of Christ followers as well. Yeah. And the last thing that you talked about this week was, it says, I will turn my blessings into resources that help others. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about what does that look like kind of fleshing that out, but also asking this question is what is the relationship between our blessings and our faith or our obedience? Because I think that's a hot button topic in Christian circles is, you know, how much, how much do you push on the pedal of, oh yeah, like our faith, like money will rain from the sky or, you know, I'm responsible for the blessings that I push. So tell me what, like, how do we push on both those pedals? Please explain yeah. how God works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the next five minutes, if, I will explain God If there's God a scale of one is yeah. has no connection or 10 is Joel Osteen, yeah. where do we sit yeah. now? Uh, okay. So I began the message, if you remember, by talking about three life philosophies. The three philosophies in life are uh, what's mine or what's yours is mine. So the robbers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, demonstrated that kind of philosophy that whatever I have to do to get whatever I want, it's okay as long as I feel good about it. If I cheat and steal, rob, whatever. The second philosophy was what's mine is mine, meaning I work hard for it. Uh, I've saved. I deserve this, and I'm going to use everything that I have on me, vacations, cars, houses, clothes, food, whatever it is, it's about me, my, my satisfaction, my fulfillment, my enjoyment. Mm. The third philosophy is what's mine is yours, meaning the Samaritan was blessed. He took his blessings that he had, material blessings, and then he used them to help somebody who didn't deserve it somebody that was broken and just laying there. And so you have to go back to which life philosophy I will choose to live by. And I believe that Christ followers should live with the philosophy that what's mine is yours because it's not mine really anyway. It's God's. He's just given me the blessing. And so I'm going to take those blessings and I'm going to use them as resources to impact other people. So practically what that looks like is... We all have a lot of stuff, cars, uh, tools, just hobby, recreational things. 
and we use them some, we don't use them a lot, right? And so if I have something that I know you would enjoy for me to say, I'm not using it. If you want it, you can have it or at least have it for a, a time or you can use it for now. Just bring it back when you're done. But what we tend to do is say, no, I worked really hard. That's expensive. I want to keep that for me. I don't want you to use it. You might break it. It doesn't matter if it gets broken. It's just a resource. It's a blessing that God gave me. Yeah, take care of it. I want you to use it. I want to you know, be able to use it again. But we can't become so selfish and stingy that we just hoard everything for ourselves. It's like, no, it's, it's okay. really not mine. It's, it's his. So if I can bless you with it, so be it, whether that's money or possessions. Man, I, and like just hearing that, I, I'm, I'm like transporting my brain into people listening or watching. And like, I want to clear something up too is blessings does not mean like God gave you a million dollars. It does, it's what God has given you. Exactly. <laughs> so for some people, that may be a job that's $20,000. That's your blessing. And so, you know, I think some people are like, well, God hasn't blessed me yet because I'm not making X or I don't have a boat or I don't have time or whatever it is. No, you have a blessing. Yeah. Like it just looks vastly different and you're responsible. Um, yeah. So this whole, you know, when I buy coffee for someone, so this whole process started uh, and well, part of the process was me kind of reflecting on my own life and having some of those same thoughts. Like I don't have you know, just hordes of money. To, like, I'm not Mr. Beast. I can't go buy a car for everybody that comes into the car lot. Trademark. Okay. But, <laughs> what, but what I can do is I can buy a cup of coffee for yep. someone. Yep. And I don't have to publicize it. Most of the time, I just tell the clerk, hey, the guy behind me, just tell him somebody already bought his coffee. Mm. And I pay for it and I leave. You know, it, it's just a blessing. It's not for me. It's just to bless them. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be, you know, $1,000. doesn't have to be a new car. doesn't have to be a house. It doesn't have to be, oh, honey, we need to go buy a boat yeah. so we can take some people out on the water. No, I, just, I think some people use it as an out where they're like, well, I don't have, I don't have to do this yet because I haven't been blessed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or, but if you do have a boat. Well, we're sure. always, yeah, you know, absolutely. we're always available to go out skiing and whatever. So. I think people rather do the bigger barn thing where it's like, oh yeah, someday if I have a million dollars, I'll be faithful. Exactly. Rather than yeah. the, what I'm, those who are entrusted with a little will yeah. be entrusted with more. Right yeah. If you're not being generous with what you have now, you won't be generous with more if you get it later. Boom. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. that's always the brilliance, I think, of the percentage stuff, like with tithing stuff, 10% yeah. of whatever is still 10% of whatever. It's a dollar yeah. percentage. Yep. Yep. Anything yeah. else? Any more wisdom you need dropped on you? Or I we, am full we, up for today. Man, dude. that is awesome. That's so. good. We're going to keep going. Uh, we'll probably do some seven-minute stories and other things in the podcast. Stay tuned. All right. On the podcast, we like to do a segment called Think Differently. And it's something that I just want to read you something out of the Bible and challenge you. And right now, I'm going to start what is going to be essentially a seven-part uh, series on this. So stay tuned to the podcast and you'll hear uh, the rest of the parts. But today I'm just going to do an intro because one of the things I talk to people about a lot, and I mean like a lot, it comes up with other Christians, is the word and the name Job gets brought up quite a bit. So there's always people saying, you know, I feel like Job. I feel like I'm suffering like Job. And so I wanted to dive into that story because Job is a story that is in the Old Testament that I do not think that it, it 
that this story, or I think that this story is something that most people don't actually think it is. Usually when people come to me and talk to me about Job, I'm sitting there going, I don't think that that means what you think it means. You know, it's like the inconceivable. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And so people, a lot of times will come and be like, I just, I I feel like Job because I'm suffering. And I'm like, I I don't know. So let's get in and maybe you feel like Job, maybe you don't, but we're going to dive into this book. Um, It's a pretty long book. It's uh, 40 some chapters. Uh, But first of all, we're just going to talk about that first part. There's kind of this um, prologue to the story because Job is formatted in, um, a way that makes a lot of people think it's a made up story. So the way that Job is, is formatted in the Hebrew context, it would be almost like a Shakespearean play. All right. It's a book that is something that is a story that is told and it's told in a dramatic way. There's a couple of things, uh, in the Bible like that, like the song of Solomon, that it's supposed to be read almost with like a chorus of people and people playing different parts. Job is a book like that. It's a story. It's a philosophy book. It is also kind of a play. And so a lot of people will use that and say, well, see, this didn't really happen. But I'm going to show you through this through uh, this study as well, this series, is that I think it's absolutely true because of the things that God says that could that had to have been dictated down to somebody. So let's jump in. First thing that is kind of crazy about the story is that it starts off in heaven. It says that God is there in heaven. He's on his throne. He's kind of assembled his court before him. And it says that Satan is there. And we take the name Satan um, from the Hebrew and from the later the Latin uh, because it's the accuser, the Satan, the accuser. And so people are like, I don't understand this. Like, you know, this is fake because, you know, God couldn't stand to be in the presence of Satan. Well, of course he can. Satan's an angel. And so, and it, he, more than that, he is the accuser. And more, and over and over in the Bible, it sets Satan up as our accuser. He's a lawyer, essentially. Now, I'm not making lawyer jokes, right? I'm not making lawyer jokes about Satan, but he is, essentially, he's like the DA. He's the prosecution. It is Satan's job to stand before the throne of God and recite our sins to God and say, look, I caught him in this. I caught him in this. They did this. They are not worthy and deserving of your love. And then, of course, in the end of the Bible in Revelation, it tells us that that exact same scenario is going to, to, to turn up. And then Jesus Christ is going to have to be the one that comes and says, no, 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 I paid that. It's not that he's not guilty, but I already paid the cost for that. And then we get to go free. And so Satan is the accuser. And so you have this courtroom scene where it's already set up, where Satan is going around and he's accusing uh, humans of sin. And he's making an appeal to God about why God should condemn the world. And so he's there and uh, he says, "What, what have you been doing? And he says, I've been roaming the earth. I've been roaming the earth and amassing data. He's basically walking around the earth and acquiring information about us. So again, if you want to have in the courtroom, he's the you know, um, the private detective that's taking the dirty pictures, you know, he's going out and he's getting evidence and he's amassing the case and he comes up. And the argument uh, that is kind of put forward here is that God rewards righteousness. And the only reason that somebody would serve God is because their life is good. That's what the accuser says. And it's kind of funny because he's accusing us, but in a sense, he's also an kind of accusing God, but he's accusing all of humanity there. He's saying, listen, the only reason that these humans, that I can't catch them in sin is when they think that because they do good things that you are going to be approving of them. So the only reason somebody would serve you 
is because their life is good. You know, things are good in my life, therefore I praise God. The minute that you take that away, the minute that their good turns to evil, they're going to forsake you. And so the accuser is not just accusing individual people, he's formulating this philosophy of his prosecution. So it's kind of like making the argument that as soon as you are poor, you're going to turn to crime. And people make that argument all the time. Well, the only reason this person did that is because this happened to them. You know, the only reason that these people are violent is because of their upbringing. The only reason, like these people, they're prosperous, but as soon as they lose, if they'd lost all of their money and they got kicked out of the street, they would just turn evil just like that. They'd resort to violence. So then God kind of takes that bet. He takes on that line of prosecution. So God allows the accuser to pick someone on earth. God actually says, well, look at Job. Job doesn't act like that. He says, I'm going to refute your line of accusation with evidence. Here's a person that is righteous in my sight. And the accuser says, well, the only reason he's righteous is because you coddle him. You know, the minute that you stop coddling him, you know, he'll turn against you. And God says, no, I don't think he will. And so he allows the accuser to do this. So that's the bet. If in his anger, Job sins, then the accuser can build a case against him. But if he stays true, then God wins the bet. And so this is the question that people have is why would God do this? It seems like God is kind of gambling with someone's life. And so this question is actually never answered in the book. People ask this question all the time. It's sort of answered, but not really. And we're going to kind of see how that goes. But every time somebody uses the book of Job to describe their suffering, they always say like, oh, I feel like Job. I feel like God is punishing me. I feel like maybe God's rolling the dice with my life. I feel like God has removed his hand of protection for me. And the first thing I always do is like, no, 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 Like, you're not Job. Okay, like, for first of all, Job existed before Christ. So not through grace, but through his own works, Job was deemed righteous by God. That means that Job is like, the nicest guy in the world. He's not sinning. And if he sins, he offers the proper sacrifices and the proper prayers in order to absolve himself and his family. And so the minute that people are, I'm like, you know, like, ah, maybe we should take a, a minute before you start saying I'm the most righteous person on earth, you know? And so people like to go and they like to do that. And they really end up asking the question, why does God allow suffering? I'm going through a hard time in my life. Why is this happening? And so they want to go to the book of Job to answer the question, why does God allow suffering? Because what we usually think is that suffering is not the condition of our own actions, that even though Christ pays the cost of that in heaven, that we shouldn't have to face the consequences here on earth. And so a lot of people will be experiencing consequences of bad decisions in their life and then say, well, God is punishing me and why would God allow suffering? And I'm like, a lot of that God didn't cause that. But there's still the question of why didn't God prevent that from you? right? But there's also random, uh, terrible things that happen. My wife and I, uh, we suffered two miscarriages. You know, nobody fell. You know, there wasn't any um, extenuating circumstances that would have led to causation of that. It just happened to us. And we're left with that question of, is God punishing me? Is it because of sin in my life? Did he make a bet with Satan? Like what's, ha like, what's happening? And so we turn to the book of Job to ask the questions, why would God do this? And the book of Job actually answers that question, but not in the way that you'd think. So stay tuned, because we're going to come back and we're going to go through this book and ask that question and find out, does Job really answer the question, why does God allow suffering? 
you enjoyed this episode of the 167, make sure you like, subscribe, follow, get notified, leave a five-star rating and a positive review. Tell all your friends to listen as well. Make sure you go over to newlifegardener.com and check out all that we have to offer as a church and check out our messages online as well. Thanks for listening.